It's not a crisis if you know when it's going to hit. And that's the whole problem. That's the whole challenge. You don't know when it's going to hit. Now, there's people who don't think there's ever going to be a crisis. And then there's people who think there is going to be a crisis. But even the people who think that there will be a crisis or could possibly be a crisis or a crisis is likely, still they don't know when. And you can talk about all sorts of different crises like pandemics, market crashes. As far as market crashes go, I mean, everyone's been talking about that. Everyone's been talking about when's the next crisis going to hit. And everyone has known since at least 1914 or so that there will always be market crises just a matter of time and that's what the whole concept of market timing is market timing is the idea that if you know enough if you have enough knowledge of all the different factors that affect humanity then you'll be able to predict when the market is going to crash and so you'll be able to sell off and get out of it right away. But experience teaches time and time again that market timing is a myth. And no one can predict exactly when a crisis is going to hit. There's also infinite examples of this in esoteric literature and religious literature, mythology about something's going to happen. Something really intense is going to happen, but we don't know when. So, I mean, if you're familiar with, I bet there's a lot of people listening to this who are familiar with a couple lines from the book of uh, Revelations. Or if you listen to Iron Maiden, Revelations 12, 12, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows the time is short. So he knows the time is short. He knows there's something out there. We know there's something's going to come down, but we don't know exactly when. So what do we do? How do you deal with that? Well, there's a process of preparation that goes into it. Um, Noah's Ark is another example. You know, he, he Noah gets visited and he knows that there's a big crisis coming he knows there's going to be a big flood but he doesn't know exactly when but he gets to work on it and a lot of this is a metaphor for the soul for the idea that men are not born with souls as we have been misled by the church but really 
we're born without a soul and we have to work to create one. Or from a Zoroastrian point of view, you'd say you're separated from it and you have to work to reintegrate with it. But some work needs to be done. Why do you need to do some work? Well, because the time is short. Something's going to happen. A crisis is going to happen. You're going to die. That's what spiritual expedience is based on. It's the knowledge of your own mortality. And knowledge of your own, own mortality is very much a result of isolated intelligence, self-awareness. Part of self-awareness is being aware that you aren't going to be here forever. You know, not like, like the animals. And don't get me wrong, I love my dogs. But my dogs aren't really aware that they're going to die. But people are. We're aware that there is a crisis. And for people who really find the path and really start to construct a magnetic center within themselves, this knowledge is a huge motivator. Now, not everyone does. That's why you find people who are like, you know, they just, they, they, they like occultism and they like the idea of magic. You know, it looks good. Feels good. It's fun. But what I'm talking about is a slightly deeper revelation, really. It is. It's a revelation. Because a lot of people don't. A lot of people just blow this knowledge off. I think everyone goes through it. Everyone at some point in their life, they go through a realization of their own mortality. And often at a very young age. Uh, that's how you react with that knowledge, which really makes a difference because I think a lot of people just like bury that knowledge and that gets buried under, you know, what we call false personality or, or what we call uh, character armor. Um, a, a lot of which is provided by conventional religion and church Christianity. Don't worry about that. You know, you're going to be fine as long as you just, you just got to obey these rules, be obedient to the church and you'll be fine. You'll live forever. But those of us who seek a little deeper, one of the things you start to realize is that if you do want to have a chance with this impending and unavoidable biological death, you have to do something about it. You got to do something. You have to make some kind of change or build something new within yourself or gain a different uh, quality of, of knowledge that will help you survive this in the same way that, that Noah got special knowledge about um, you know, how to build this, this ship. And really that's what that story is about. Um, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous to think that he, some guy built an ark and it saved all of the animals in the world. Of course, it's ludicrous. Guess what? That's not what the story is really about. 
Church Christianity doesn't know. They've lost the knowledge, so they can't teach you this. So they just teach, you know, children, yeah, this is a fault. This is, you know, the version of reality that happened because they've lost touch with the original meaning. But the original meaning of that story is how you build something within yourself that can survive this impending crisis. And you go back into that story and you start looking. There's, there's all these measurements given. There's all, the, the, there's all these mathematics that are given in it. And if you think for a moment, oh, well, maybe this is like a code for something else, you start to see, no, there was, there was something way more sophisticated underneath this a long time ago that's, that's been lost. So that's one example. And then we go through these crises, like the one we're going through right now, where everyone has to sit at home and watch their savings evaporate, or watch their jobs go away, be cut off from their, their friends, be cut off from their family in some cases. And there are ways to survive a crisis like this. But just like with the church Christian version of Noah's Ark, the establishment doesn't teach it. And the ordinary guy out there doesn't want to talk about it, doesn't want to prepare. The Nebu Generator, my forthcoming book, talks about these things. Talks about how you can prepare yourself to survive a crisis, maybe even do well in a crisis on a number of different levels. For instance, one thing you have to do is create a buffer. So in the in the Nebu generator, this is the first part of the engine, the first engine that has to be fired up. You have to create a buffer. So this is like Noah's Ark. You had to build something. You had to build a physical thing to sit in. You know, if you go back and, 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 and you look at or if you go back and you look at the Kabbalah yeah, you know, in the Kabbalah they talk about you have to create a uh, cliffothic shroud which is basically you create a buffer around you that can survive the, the loss of the body. And of course, Gurdjieff talks about this too. You have to create additional bodies and stuff like that. But this all comes back in principle to the idea of a buffer. And it's also similar if you look at uh, the book of Coming Forth by Nights that talks about he created a buffer called Harware, which is like the Egyptian god Horus, to balance and define himself, but also to be a buffer against the cosmic inertia 
of the universe. So this is one of the things I talk about in, in the Nebu generator is how to build your own buffer in a material financial sense. So um, crises like the ones we're in right now are something you'll be able to face with confidence and courage. Now, if you weren't prepared for this crisis, don't worry. It's all right. There'll be another one. <laughs> There's always another crisis. And, you know, I, this is part of life is getting through crises. But the better you do through each crisis, the better you're ready for the next one. So... I got some feedback from the last episode. Um, Hastur the Falconer sent me a message. He said, hey, Paul, great episode on the markets and coronavirus. Being a pricing professional, your comments on price gouging caught my attention. To reinforce what you said, due to price segmentation, discrimination, Companies try to price goods so they're non-transferable in secondary markets. In addition, the price of a product or service is a function of value derived and volume purchased, not cost. So in a situation of scarcity, a price higher than normal is logical. Again, great episode. Looking forward to your new book. Well, thank you, Hestor, and that's a great point, um, and that, which I wasn't that familiar with. But yeah, this is that totally makes sense, and it's very logical. So, um, so to uh, reiter reiterate this um, in a way that is meaningful for the hundreds and hundreds of semi-professional musicians who listen to this pro this podcast myself included um and this is okay so this is a this is a semi-professional struggling musician in the 90s example so when you go to get your cd pressed you're going to press your cd yourself of course um because that's you know the way to the way to do it Record labels don't sign you unless you've already, you know, put out your own CD for a few years. So you go to get your CD pressed and, you know, you get a disc makers or whatever and they're like, oh, okay, so you see if I'm going to press, you know, 500 CDs, it's like, you know, eight bucks, a, eight bucks a disc, eight bucks a unit. But then you see, oh, if I do a thousand CDs, it's like... You know, five bucks a unit. So everyone ends up doing a thousand because it lowers your costs. And that's why every, um, every semi-professional musician from the nineties has a basement with boxes of CDs in it. Um, you know, by the way, if anyone, you know, wants some, uh, copies of the first Asmodeus X album, Wolfage, be sure and, uh, hit me up. But, Anyhow, you make your CDs and then you you have two different markets that you're selling to. First, um, you're trying to get a distributor, trying to sell some to a distributor because they're going to go, 
sell them then in a, in record stores and stuff like that. And so, you know, they're going to want to pay you like, you know, you know, eight bucks or something like that or CD, or you're going to want them to pay you like eight bucks uh, per unit for the CD. So you then you're making like at least like $2 off of it. And that's like a distributor. That's like a wholesale price. But if I'm selling directly to people at a show, I can charge a full price for it. So like $15, $12, or whatever. Because I don't assume that the person I'm selling to at the club, it, they're not going to go sell it to anyone else. And plus, I don't want them to do that. I want them to buy it all right there. So I get all the money for it. So that's why I'm like selling it to them for $15. But you know, in a crisis situation, by following the same logic, suddenly you'd be, you'd be considered a price gouger. I mean, why don't they do that? At I mean, think about it. You go to a club to see, you know, Venom or whatever, and they're going to charge you, you know, T-shirts are going to be, you know, $45. Hoodies are going to be like $100, you know, and, and you know, CDs are going to be like whatever, $15. And everyone's going to pay it, no problem. But, you know, there's always the the person there who's like, well, I can just get that at the record store for like, you know, maybe a dollar less or something. But really, everyone just buys this shit like crazy. No one stops and says, you know, you're taking advantage of these people because they're in a club right now and they can't go anywhere else to buy that Metallica t-shirt. You're a price gouger. I'm going to call channel 2 news you know i'm gonna call the police citizens arrest you know but they love it in these crisis situations and one of the reasons i think that this happens in these crisis situations is because they want first of all the government wants to come in and save everyone right because this is their chance they get criticized all year long for being corrupt and for stealing people's money, you know, taxation is theft. Now they have an opportunity to come down and be Superman and save everyone. And they just hate it if someone, some private citizen is going to come and get water to people faster than the government can or get hand sanitizer to people faster than the government can. So anyhow. That's enough about price gouging. God, pisses me off so much. So let's talk about the Corona lockdown. You know, the note I had here on my notes, they closed the bars and restaurants in Harris County. And you know what? I was going to do that. I was going to talk about that yesterday. And I thought that by talking about that, that would be unique. I thought, so, you know, they were doing it in Harris County, which is like the county, uh, you know, for Houston, where I live, Houston, Texas. And this was done in response to, oh, well, New York did it. Oh, Chicago did it. You know, L.A. did it. Oh, I guess we better do it now. And so at that point, I was thinking, so this is something the major cities are doing because... All these people are like packed in here. And I didn't do a podcast yesterday. And then what? Just, I mean, not even another 24 hours went by. And I think it has been done everywhere in the United States. And it's everywhere in Europe. It's everywhere in the West. 
everywhere in the West, overnight, they closed down all the bars and restaurants. Now, I haven't done a, I've, I've talked to a few friends of mine who live in smaller towns in the Midwest, and they said, yeah, it's the same here. They, they, they locked down everything. You, no restaurants are open. No bars are open. Um, you can only get takeout or delivery from restaurants. Um, so it's just, it, it, my head is spinning and I think really like the whole nation or all of the West is really in, in shock over this, um, how fast that happened. And it wasn't a federal edict i have to point that out right away this wasn't a federal edict the fed federal government just made suggestions but local and regional governments just acted quickly and just tamped it down so i don't know how much protest there really has been out there i'm like there might might be more protests that we're not hearing about um it seems like i'd see more of it on on twitter or something but i guess i haven't you know maybe maybe it's there and i'm just not seeing it but um yesterday there was one galveston county so galveston which is like on on the coast you know like about a half hour from houston it's a party town they, they, they do mardi gras there they had some cruise ships going in and out of there and i think last i heard they had like two cases of uh the coronavirus there and the judge in Galveston um, said we're not doing that um, and we questioned the legality of the judge in Houston that did it we don't know if that's even legal for them to do that but and you know it's a good question is that legal can a judge or a mayor or a governor close down all the bars and restaurants close down private establishments like that do they have the authority to do that i don't know but the point is it's done and so you know just within you know 48 hours you're hearing you know there's there's you know there's going to be layoffs just basically this whole segment of the workforce as basically just you know put out to pasture good luck and they say they're gonna they're gonna come and help and have you know accelerated unemployment benefits for people but i mean well let's just wait and see if that happens and even unemployment benefits are not that good we're talking about federal government's talking about sending everyone a, a check for a thousand dollars is that gonna help it's going to help accelerate the national debt, that's for sure. And was that really necessary to do that? So there's a lot wrapped up in here. So one thing, you know, my last show, I talked about infrastructure uh, and how when the state establishes infrastructure like this in a crisis even after the crisis is over the tendency is that infrastructure doesn't go away 
you know, even if they deactivate some of this stuff, the infrastructure is still there and they can easily reactivate it again. And what they've done is they've established an infrastructure where they can basically put everyone in jail because that's what it is. It's basically we're all confined. We're all under house arrest, you know, um, for an unlimited amount of time, undefined amount of time. They said 15 days, but they're also saying, oh, this can last, this might last until July, might last forever. And then what are the long-term effects of this? Because, you know, if you're a, you know, first of all, you, you know there's a lot of bars and restaurants that aren't going to come back from this. It's only the bigger ones, you know, the chains, the ones that are already had a good system set up with, you know, you know, DoorDash and, and Grubhub. Um, uh, a lot of them are never going to come back from this. A lot of them are like going to be, you know, old, you know bar owners and, and small restaurant or small business owners are they're, they're not going to come back into this business after that because once this has happened you will know that it can happen again and so you realize that this has changed things permanently this has permanently changed the landscape of western culture like there wasn't a lot of great dive bars left anyhow but they ain't going to be any anymore you to kiss your, your dive bars goodbye. You know, if they do come back, there'll have to be some kind of new expanded insurance. No one's going to get into it unless there's some kind of insurance. People don't invest money in something like that if they don't think it's possible that they will be able to be successful with it. And the man has basically come out and said, we don't want you to count on, on bars and restaurants. Those are risky. Those are all risky, risky business ventures. So you, you ain't going to see a lot of them in the future. And I can't help but wonder, is it, is it worth it? Was it worth it? for this coronavirus and I haven't seen the absolute latest numbers on this but you know the facts that come that that I'm hearing and these are the mainstream facts is that this is not as bad as the flu and even though we're seeing all these death numbers on here, it's still less people than die from the flu every year. So was it necessary to do this? If they can do this to prevent us from something that's not as bad as the flu, then that sets the precedent. Then they do this every year during cold and flu season. We can't let all these people get influenza shut everything down um, and I was thinking about this and, and there's also all these all these people are recovering you start to hear more and more stories about people recovering 
And then you also hear details about the people who died. And when you hear about it, it's like, oh, they were like 80 years old and they had liver disease and, you know, they were about gone anyhow. So you start to wonder, is this really an issue for everyone else? Now, there's the question about uh, Lee Wenliang. And Lee Wenliang was the uh, doctor in uh, Wuhan, Wuhan, China, who discovered the, or I don't know if he discovered, he's the whistleblower. Um, and he wa- tried to warn people about it, and the government uh, shut him down, uh, stopped spreading rumors, stopped spreading lies. And then he died. And he was like 33 years old and healthy. And so you're like, well, that story doesn't quite line up with the story that it only really affects the elderly or those with weakened immune systems. And, you know, I went and looked at the the Wikipedia on this. You check out Wikipedia for uh, Li Wenliang, and um, it says that he died because of a viral, high viral load. In other words, there was just so much of the virus on the person that he treated. Because this is like, you know, shopkeeper from the uh, seafood market, from a wet market there, right? And so he was just soaked in the virus. And so that did him in. Have you heard that? You can get more or less of the virus on you. If you get a huge quantity of it on you that I've never heard of that before. Is it like that with like the flu? There's like a quantity amount. Like if you get a ton of that shit on you, it could do you in. Is that true? Come on. I know I've got fact checkers out there. So look into that. See if that's a thing. Is viral load a thing with the coronavirus? So maybe it's worse than they're saying. You know, maybe it's not as bad as they're saying. I mean, who knows what to think? But, you know, and as far as them closing down the bars, you know, I watched the judge in, for Harris County when she came out and she announced this. I wish I had a recording of it. But one of the things she was saying is, you know, last week we... I'm, I'm paraphrasing it. Um, you know, last week we told you all practice social distancing and wash your hands and avoid gatherings. But then all the weekend we saw everyone was out. Everyone's going out and saw your photos on Facebook. Everyone's going and hanging out and partying. So basically it's come to this. We're going to close, you know, all bars will close. And you could just tell by the way she said it. She liked that. She's been waiting her whole life to say that. And she could have just said, all bars will close because y'all didn't have no business going out there anyhow. Y'all know it was wicked, wicked behavior. And, you know, remember, they, they've done this in America before. Um, prohibition, you know, they shut down, they shut down bars then. You know, so was it really necessary for that? To be honest, 
if people know all this stuff about this disease and you know the odds and you still are going to go out and hang out with people and shake hands and put your arms around each other and hug each other and everything like that if you're still going to go do that i'm saying let let darwin take care of that you know why don't why don't we let darwin take care of that or maybe it's because they don't want everyone to go and do that because everyone's going to figure out that it, you're not really going to die from it. <laughs> you know, I mean, isn't there some story or there's, I swear to God, there's some story or movie about that where like, don't go outside or you die, you'll die. And then someone finally goes outside and they're like, oh, it's okay. Oh yeah. Logan's run. That's it. Fucking Logan's run. They live in a, an enclosed society where everything's cared for and they live like children. It's like, don't go outside. You'll immediately die from germs. And eventually Logan and his girlfriend, they go and escape. And that's the, that's the high point of the movie. They walk outside and, and they're fine. So is that, why that, is that why they had to close everything down? Basically, you know, put us all in jail so we don't venture out and discover that maybe the coronavirus is not that big of a deal anyhow. And so I got to thinking about this. And I don't know, I'm not saying I know it's a, I'm not saying it's a conspiracy or anything like that. I'm just saying I think about these things. So I was thinking back to previous years and you know I've been sick, get the flu, and I know everyone's been in this situation. It's like one of your friends at work gets sick, and you're like, oh, fuck. He's going to pass it around the office. So you try and maybe you try and do your, your Perel or something, and but then someone else gets sick. And then and then one night you come home, and your, your wife or your, your significant other they start getting sick and you're like, oh, great. So then you know it's going to hit it's going to hit you. So eventually you get sick and you're like, man, everyone everyone's like saying, yeah, it's it's going around. Everyone's yeah, everyone's got it. Everyone's got the flu. That happens all the time. I can't count how many years that has happened. And what happens? It runs out and then and then you're fine. Um this all of this shit that's going on right now, I stopped and thought about it, and I don't know anyone. This is supposedly the biggest ec- epidemic ever. I don't know anyone who has it. Okay, now I see the people on TV like everyone else, and I see the numbers on there. But that's one difference: is maybe in the past during a, a bad flu season, maybe there's like triple the numbers that we're seeing now maybe it's even worse than the numbers in italy but you know what they're not the government's not out there testing everyone and posting it and posting the numbers out there so we don't know about it so we don't panic and we're not easily caged (laughs) at a mass level 
So I thought about that. Maybe that's just it. Maybe maybe this is like not nearly as bad as anything, but all of the hype about it is creating more hype. All right, well, that's probably enough for now. Let's see where this goes. Be watchful. Be wary. Get my new book, The Nabu Generator, when it comes out on April 30th. And keep listening to this podcast. I'm going to start dropping episodes tomorrow, the first one, Thursday, tomorrow, um, March 19th. I'm going to drop the first episode um, where I'm going to read some stuff from the Navy Generator, so check that out. And until next time, in the face of crisis, just remember the immortal words of the great John Dillinger. Lie down on the floor and remain calm. <laughs>